the threatened ice and snow did not come as anticipated. As the day was going on, I was noticing that the percentage chance of it coming was less and less and less. I don't think we got over 50% for any of the one hours, and I said, yeah, this stuff's not just not going to fall. And uh, it surely did not. So we're glad that you you made it out. Some of you folks just had uh, designed, uh, just resigned yourself to just stay at home and are watching online. And we sure appreciate all the work Daryl put into getting our things ready for us here at the, at the end. Put a number of new things in operation that they'll get to see at home. And you folks that are here get to check them out when you, um, if you go home and you watch any of it, just to, to see some of that. Anyway, I'd sent a text around to, to folks. I actually sent a couple of texts around, and as I noticed, there's a few people in here. I don't have your numbers on that list. If you want to get your number on that list for little updates and stuff, just make sure I have a cell phone number before you leave, because we like everybody to get that. But in it, I put a question that I was asked this week, and so far, only Marguerite responded back. So I told her, her and I will have a little conversation later on, and, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. Apparently, nobody else was, uh, was all that interested in it. <laughs> so... If you all have an interest in it, let me know. Maybe we'll get into it next week. But the, the question that we put up there was, uh, if the Word of God tells us that we're supposed to do good to those who hate us, how are we supposed to pray and respond to those that are doing evil in this world? But apparently only Marguerite was interested in the answer on that. So we will uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll table that one. Now, I, do, I really do love your response when you when, when you uh, write back in. And I know some of you that are here were not able to do that because I don't have you on the list. So we'll work to get that taken care of. But what we are going to take a look at here is what is the role of the evangelist as one of the fivefold gifts. How many are familiar with the evangelist ministry outside of getting people saved? Okay. They, uh, they have a unique... They, they are definitely unique from the other four, and we want to take a look at some of the ways that they are. And also, once I have been evangelized, once I have received the message of salvation, does an evangelist have any benefit for me, for me as a believer? What can they do? So we'll answer these questions. As we go through the Word of God, if it were not for Paul putting in the evangelist into the fivefold ministry gifts, I am pretty sure that this ministry gift will be completely neglected. Because as we go through the Word of God, how many evangelists can you think of? How many can think of one? How many can think of two? There's one. (laughs) There is one in the Word of God who is identified as an evangelist. There are many that are identified as a apostle. There are a number of them that are identified as a pastor. We have even more that are identified as a prophet. We have one who is identified as an evangelist. If it were not for Paul putting the evangelist in the list of the fivefold ministry, I'm pretty sure we would have the fourfold ministry. <laughs> the evangelist would not be included. There were not evangelists in the Old Testament. This is a New Testament ministry. Much as the pastor is a New Testament ministry, the evangelist is a New Testament ministry. 
And we only have one example of it, and that is Philip. Philip is our only evangelist that is identified as an evangelist. I'm not saying he's the only one during the New Testament times. I'm saying he's the only one that was identified as an evangelist and went about and did what we expect an evangelist to do. So the only place that we can go for this is in the book of Acts, chapter 8, which is where we find our evangelist. So we'll take a look at this from the beginning. Now, Philip did not start out as an evangelist. He started out as a deacon. He is one of the people that was picked to minister to the things that the disciples didn't want to be distracted by. And so him, along with Stephen and a few others, were selected for this, and most of those went on into other areas of ministry. This was just an area where they started doing some things, and then uh, each one went into to different aspects. Philip was the one who went into being an evangelist. In verse 1, just to cover the whole chapter here, Now Saul was consenting to his death. This is the stoning of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Now Saul was consenting. It did not say he participated. It did not say that he instigated it. It said he was consenting. But we know that it didn't take very long until Saul was not only consenting, but he was instigating And he was one of the ones who was leading the charge to put people in prison and to bring them to, to uh, different types of punishments. In fact, he even expanded it. He didn't just, he didn't just go after the men. He went after the women and the children, which was unusual. If you've been through our series when we went through Acts, we spent some time on that. If you are just to the place in life where you consent to something, it will not be long if you do not do something about it until you will be guilty of the very thing that you are consenting to. He is not our only example. You can go through a number of times in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New, where people consented to something, but then before long, it had taken them over. Now, of course, the Old Testament, the picture picture boy for this is Solomon. Solomon was consenting to some things, but then after a while, he was a participant and he was actually involved in the sacrificing of the idols. So do not, do not get to the place where you consent. Always speak up for what the word says. It's important. Even if no one listens, that's all right. You speak up for what the word of God says because you don't want to get to the place where Saul was. Here he starts out in chapter eight, just consenting, but before long, he is instigating and God stops him on the road. And he's about ready to give him a choice. Either get on the right side or it's over. And uh, he got on the right side. So anyway, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They are not identified as evangelists. Just because you go out and preach the word doesn't mean you are an evangelist. Just like just because you go out and make and have a prophecy doesn't make you a prophet. Just because you go out and teach something doesn't make you a teacher in the ministry gift of a teacher. There's a difference in it. And there's a difference here as well. 
we should. Remember Paul wrote to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. There are some things that all of us are supposed to do in the area of evangelism. We shouldn't uh, turn our backs on that. And we ought to be out there doing it. doesn't mean we are an evangelist. So we're going to take a look at what what is it that makes Philip an evangelist. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So Philip goes out to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ to them. He didn't preach a whole lot. One thing about evangelists, they don't teach a whole lot of things. They are not a teacher. They are not a pastor and they are not an apostle. Those three ministries will teach on very many things. But an an evangelist will not do that. They preach on just a few. And one of the main things is they preach Christ. So he went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them, the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Now that's pretty tough to do to go down to a heathen city, preach Christ to them, and they're all in agreement about the things spoken by Philip. That doesn't happen too often, does it? Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. That's key. Hearing and seeing the miracles he did. So Philip didn't just go down there and preach Christ. He also did some, there were some miracles that had gone on. In fact, it talks about demon spirits coming out of people crying with a loud voice. And there were people, it says that they were paralyzed and they were healed through this ministry. Now that's pretty going pretty far. Just a few chapters before this, he's just a deacon. Now he takes the assignment to go down to Samaria because he was sent. In uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 8 is where we have him called the evangelist. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. So there he's identified as that. Let's stay over here in, in Acts chapter 8. Now multitudes had come and received the message and multitudes had come and were healed. We had a lot of miracles that were going on there. He really turned that city around. He walked into the city and multitudes had gone on to see uh, demon spirits go out, paralyzed people. Now just imagine this. Somebody, an evangelist, walks into the city of Philadelphia, down around the art museum, comes out in that little circle that's out over there, and he starts preaching Christ, and people come and they listen, and they're getting saved, and then people come and they bring paralyzed people, or he sees paralyzed people, they may not know to bring paralyzed people, but he sees paralyzed people, and the Spirit of God comes on him or tells him to do, do such, and he goes out there and, and raises them up so that they're no longer paralyzed, they're no longer lame. He uh, finds out that some are demon-possessed. Either people told him they were demon-possessed or he noticed something about them or the Spirit of God showed him or there was the gift of discerning the spirits. Whatever it was, it became aware that they were demon-possessed people and he went over and, and cast them out. And so the evangelist has the message of Christ along with miracles that are going on. 
miracles of healing and miracles of people being set free from demon possession. Now, when people see miracles, they're willing to receive the words, regardless of how true the words are. If people see miracles, if they see miraculous things, they are willing to receive the words regardless of how much truth is in those words. This is why the devil comes with lying signs and wonders. If he comes in with lying signs and wonders, people don't check it out. Well, this is the miracle. Obviously, God's behind it. So thereby, whatever it is that they say is from God. And they just receive it and they accept it. But there is a difference. In this passage of scripture, this well, will, will tell us this. Now, the authenticity for an evangelist is in the greatness of the miracles. This is this is how they're they're authenticated. But since Satan is also trying to authenticate his message with the greatness of the miracles, the the difference comes in the word that the evangelist of God brings. The words bring peace, and they bring joy. The words that the enemy brings in, the words that Satan would bring in, they don't bring peace and they don't bring joy. This is how you'll be able to tell. The words of God, when you read the words from from God, there's peace and there's joy. Even end times, Paul tells you even end times, this is to bring comfort for you. If you teach end times the way that God intends it, you'll have comfort. If somebody comes along and teaches end times, but it's not bringing you comfort, more than likely they didn't teach it right. Or they didn't teach the truth. They taught something else. And there's a lot of weird stuff going out there in the area of end times. So these people will come in and, and to do that. Now Simon, the sorcerer, let's get over to, to him. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great. So this man is already in the city has already been doing miraculous things. Great signs were done. He astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was somebody great. So they should listen to him. And so they had been listening to his words. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. This is what they said of Simon. But Simon was not of God. He was not doing these things by God. He was doing things, as the Word of God said, he practiced sorcery. But the people didn't didn't see any difference in that. People today do not always discern between what is being done by Satan's kingdom and what is being done by God's. And we need to make that distinction. Because if I side myself with the things of Satan, even though I may not be doing his works, if I consent, it won't be too long until I, I go on and I'll be just like Saul was. Yeah. One time I'm consenting, but now all of a sudden I'm, I'm practicing. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. This is, had been going on. And Philip, the evangelist, has an assignment from God. Go to the city of Samaria. Now, if he's going to go to the city of Samaria and preach Christ to them, they already have Simon in the city who is not only teaching them words, of whatever it is that he's teaching them, but he's also doing these signs and these miraculous things. Can Philip come into this city without doing the same thing and have them listen? 
No, he's got to get their attention. Their attention is on the astonishing miracles that Simon is doing. And so he needs to come in with that power that is from God. Otherwise, they're going to say, well, you come in with no power. He comes in with power. But when, verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So he preached Christ to them and he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. This is an intriguing scripture because Simon, the man who mesmerized the city, with the astonishing things that he did, is now astonished by the things that Philip is doing. And when Philip speaks the words of God, Simon is one of those who believes. And we don't get anything from the word that he's believing in a false way. Nothing in the word of God tells us he's believing in a false way. He seems to be genuine in his belief. But just like many who first believe, they go off into some wrong things, and certainly he did as well. But... The people heard what, what Simon had taught. They saw what Simon had done. And then here comes this new guy. Simon had been in there for a long time. He was entrenched in the city. They knew him. They felt they could trust him. They felt they could receive these things from him. And so God sent his man, Philip, the evangelist, into the city to bring about a change. Now, if you were going to dispatch a prophet into the city, the prophet is going to come in. He's going to dispatch a message. That message would be, get right or get judged. That would be one message that we could bring. The other message might be, God is wanting to bless you. Maybe there might be a message of encouragement. But from how this city was going, more than likely, the message from the prophet would be, get right or get judged. And God had determined that that's not what's going to work here. And probably that is because of the work of Simon. And so what we have to do is we've got to combat that. And so really the first account we have an evangelist being dispatched is Philip. There may have been ones before, but we don't know of them. This is the first one we have that is dispatched. It's pretty early on in the church. It could be he, he's uh, cutting edge. He may be going out and saying, I'm an evangelist. Man, that's great. What is that? <laughs> what do you do? What? I, I'm not real sure. I'm kind of figuring this thing out as we're going along here because I don't have any other evangelists to look at. I got prophets. I got teachers. I got pastors. I got apostles. I don't got evangelists. So we're really learning off of Philip and Philip is learning at the same time. In verse 14, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is what happened next. So right now, we had the clashing of forces. Simon and Philip. And Philip won. And Simon even said, yeah, you know what? This is astounding. I'm, I believe. And so he probably went around to people and said, I believe these words. I thought the words I was saying were right, but these words, these are right. See, because there, there's a difference. The words that he was saying, they had peace and they had joy. The words that Simon said, they didn't have peace and they didn't have joy. And so they had that difference. And Simon even said, you know what? I'd rather have this. And so he, to his credit, 
to, he was being used by the devil, but when presented with the truth, he did go with it, just kind of like uh, Paul did. Paul was going one direction, God stops him on the road, presents him with the truth, and he decided to make the change and go the other direction. And this is what you have here with Simon. But they were having a good time there preaching Christ and the things of the kingdom. But this is all he's equipped to do as an evangelist. No one got, got uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. No one got baptized in the Spirit. He may not have even been teaching that. But this was, a, this was something that was not going on. So he says, somehow they sent word down to Jerusalem. Hey, we got revival going on up here. And we need some more things happening. And so they send Peter and John. And so Peter and John, these guys are equipped to do other things. They may not have been equipped to take on Simon. They might not have had the giftings to take that and change that around. But Philip did. So Philip comes in, takes care of that, that threat that Simon had for the kingdom, neutralized it, brought Simon in basically on the, on the same page. And then he sends over to Jerusalem. We need some more stuff here. I'm an evangelist. Apparently, I don't go out into a whole lot of areas. I just kind of do, do this stuff. And so they sent Peter and they sent John. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, that's all that they knew to do. That's all he knew to do, baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Didn't say, and they may have, but they didn't say that they did a whole lot of teaching on it. But there's an anointing on John. There's an anointing on Peter to get on in there, lay hands on people, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. That apparently, that anointing was not on Philip, or Philip would have done it. To whatever degree that he, he could have done so. So, let's go on to verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. He was astounded at what happened with people. When they got hands laid on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they would, obviously, something physical happen. And we can surmise, because it's not stated here, but we can surmise that they began to speak with other tongues, just like they had done earlier in the book of Acts. And maybe something changed on these people that he saw And he said, this is great power. So Simon, who already operated in some great miraculous things, saw what Philip did and was astounded at what Philip did. The people who saw Simon and were accustomed to what he did were astounded at the things that Philip did. And then Peter and John come on and they bring in an apostle's anointing. And so they step in on on the scene here. And now... Simon is astounded and the people are astounded at what they're doing. But theirs is different. It's not the same. And Simon wanted to to have that power. Well, he's used to, from what he was doing, that money was one way that you could get this. And so he just, he's going with what he knows. It's not necessarily that this is an evil thing. He doesn't see it as evil. He just, this is how you obtain these kind of things. So he offered them money in order to have that. And of course, Peter and John, they know better than this, and so they kind of rebuked him pretty uh, pretty harshly. Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. 
But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Well, if you are going to ask to purchase the power of God, where do you get that inspiration from? He didn't get it from God. God did not inspire him to do that. If he believed in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit did not inspire him to do that. So he was taking inspiration from other places. And he took that inspiration, not discerning the, the difference between the inspiration of the former kingdom and the inspiration of the new kingdom. And so Peter, John, they saw this, and so they rebuked it right away. No, your money perish with you. You can't do this sort of stuff. This is not how you get things in the, in the kingdom. This is an influential person. If they don't deal with this harshly, if they don't deal with this, not necessarily publicly, but they had to deal with him in a, in a strong way, so that he doesn't lead anyone else in this, in this way. Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Not just your thinking, your heart. There's something on the inside of his heart that wasn't quite right. Repent therefore of this wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thoughts or the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. You ever know that you have to be forgiven of some of the thoughts of your heart? For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. How did he know all that? <laughs> you see, he's in the apostles' ministry. In the apostles' ministry, we're going to lay out some of the gifts that are in, in these in just a little bit. They operate in different gifts than an evangelist does. Philip, as an evangelist, didn't operate in these gifts. He did operate in gifts that he could see into the spirit realm or somehow deal with the spirit realm and cast out spirits. He either saw into it with the discerning of spirits or uh, somehow became known, but he had authority. Of course, we all believers have authority over spirits. But it seemed like he was doing more than just the simple gift of taking authority. Verse 24, Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. Well, that's what most people that are unsaved or kind of new in the body of Christ think, uh, that if, if I've messed up, well, then you pray for me. That's not right. He, Peter didn't, didn't tell him, ask me to pray for you. He said, repent. He didn't say anything about prayer. He just said, repent. But you see, we go back on things that we're used to or things that are of a religious spirit. We ought not to do that. And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now here we had before they preached, he, he preached Christ to them and he preached things about the kingdom. Here it says, So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord. Now what did they testify? Well, they're apostles of the ministry of Jesus Christ. They testified of what Jesus did. They were basically a walking gospel. And they sat down and they testified or they spoke of things. We were in a meeting and Jesus did this. Oh, wow. That's, tell us another story. Well, we were in another meeting and Jesus did this. And so they're just telling stories. They're testifying. This is what they're doing. They're testifying. They're telling stories of what Jesus had done in the ministry of the three and a half years they were there. 
And so that's what they're testifying about. Philip couldn't do that. They, he, Philip hadn't traveled with him. As far as we know, maybe Philip was in on a few meetings here and there. I don't know that he wasn't in on any, but we don't see him as one of the twelve or as even a candidate to be one of the twelve when they had to find a replacement. So they were testifying to these things and they preached the word of the Lord. They had other things about the word they could teach. And so they were teaching other things in this area. And then they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So they didn't stay there. So Peter and John are sent with a purpose. Go out there and pray that they may receive the Holy Spirit. That's their purpose. Now, in verse 26... I don't want to get distracted with all the things. There's a whole lot of fun things in this chapter, but we're trying to look at this from the evangelist point of view and a few other ministries that we hadn't quite covered. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, as far as we know, Philip had only been in Samaria for a couple of days. Short period of time. And after they got to a certain point, they sent for the disciples. And they came on in, and it seems like they had taken over. And then the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. So he has another assignment. This is one thing about the evangelist. Their assignments are not long. They will go into a place, they will do what God told them to do, and then they're off. And they go minister someone else, somewhere else. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting on his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So first he has the angel of the Lord who spoke to him and gave him a new assignment. And then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So here's the first thing he's got. The first thing we see that he does is he has the assignment of a city. The assignment of a city. I want you to go over to Samaria. He goes over and he takes the city on. He tucks on Simon and comes out victorious. And things were done in the city that were good. And so then he gets his next assignment. Now, if you just took a city for the gospel, how many want a bigger assignment next time? Yeah, I think I'm ready for a bigger assignment. And the angel of the Lord appeared. If the angel of the Lord appears to you and gives you your next assignment. We didn't have the angel of the Lord appear to him the first time. I don't know how he got the first assignment. But here in this next one, we have the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? Jesus. So Jesus shows up to Philip to give him his next assignment. How many would like to go through that, that assignment process? Now, according to the things I've been taught, when you get that much of a of an assignment, or that kind of a, a strong um, leading on the next assignment, there's going to be some opposition. We're not told of any opposition, so he probably just didn't write it down. But I'm sure that there had to be something that had, had come up. So he's got his next assignment here, and so he's going on down the road. He's looking on the road. What's he looking for? I don't know, if if I'm Philip, I'm looking for something big. We just did a city. Maybe there's another city. So we're going down the road, and I'm looking, maybe I'm looking for a city. Maybe I'm looking for another city. Well, he sent me to Samaria. Because we're not told that he's, 
he's given this, the uh, details of the assignment. He just says, go back to the words of the angel. Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's just supposed to go down the road. This is the desert. So he's going down the road. He's looking for something. And then the Spirit of the Lord says, see that chariot? Go get it. Chariot. Chariot. I'm the city guy. We just want a city. I'm thinking bigger cities or countries. I'm ready. <laughs> Wouldn't you be thinking that if you were him? You want you to be ready for a bigger assignment, something bigger to come? He's the evangelist. As far as we know, he's the only one he's got. Maybe he's got another one, but we don't know of him. And the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So he, so he does. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Didn't just walk, didn't just, he ran to him. He saw, oh, there it is. All right. So he runs to him. Now, if you're a guy sitting in a chariot and all of a sudden some guy on the road starts running after you, what are you thinking? This is a prestigious guy, probably has some money on him because he is a eunuch of the queen. He's not poor. If you are in a chariot and you got some money, you got some good stuff there, maybe the chariot's valuable, maybe the, the stuff in the chariot is valuable. I don't know, he's, he's got some valuable stuff more than likely. And some guy all of a sudden takes off and starts running after you. What might you think? I just would think that maybe something would be, be going on that was, that was not quite right. I, long time ago, sometime, some months ago, I put up this, this little thing that I saw on a running site. I thought it was hysterical. I laughed at it for a long period of time. Um, especially because of the picture of the guy that they put on for the same. But whoever that guy is, uh, he's a real weird guy, real weird, I don't know what his name is. Um, he does that uh, mouse hunt. He's the, he's the guy who actually goes after the mouse in the house. He's a, uh, I don't know who he is. But anyway, uh, he has this, his, his picture next to it. And, or, um, and the saying is, I went for a walk with a pretty girl today. Then she noticed me and we went for a run. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the most hysterical thing I had, had seen. But, um, that's the kind of thing that goes on here. I mean, what would you think if you all of a sudden saw somebody who's who's coming after you? You, you, you? More than likely, we're not thinking good things, but the Lord told them, go get them. Now, me, if the Lord told me to do this, I'm, I'm all right, we're just going to casually walk on up here and just kind of notice them over here on the side. That's how I would do it. But that's not what happened. So Philip ran to him and heard him Reading the prophet Isaiah. So this guy is so into reading Isaiah that he does not notice this man run up upon him even though you might think he'd be watchful because of the things that are there. Now maybe he has some guards and he expects them to to uh, be watching, whatever it might be. If he has some guards and you're Philip, why are you running after him? But this is, Philip is very enthusiastic. I don't know that everybody who just had the assignment of Samaria would be as enthusiastic of an assignment of a chariot. But he is. 
And so he says to him, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, how can I, unless someone guides me? Well, if he has the understanding, the thinking, I'm reading something, I can't really understand this unless somebody's guiding me, but he is so into reading, doesn't even notice Philip running up on him on the chariot. I mean, this guy, he wants to learn. I, I know I can't understand this, but I, I gotta do something. So he's reading it. And he's not just silently reading, he's reading out loud. Do you ever do that? I don't. When I read, I am quiet. I don't read out loud. Unless I'm reading to somebody. You know, if you got one of the grandkids over there, or when you're, you know, our kids were younger, uh, we would sit down and we would read to them. That's the only time I read out loud. But he's in this by himself, and he's reading. And Philip heard him. Reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, think about this. If you heard somebody reading from the prophet Isaiah, would you be able to identify what he was reading? How many of you might have to ask, where are you reading from? (laughs) Philip doesn't have to ask. He just jumps right up there. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture that he was, that he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. How many saw my David Ingalls song I put up? A couple of you. That's where I was reading this verse and I saw that. Who would declare this generation? That's a, that's a David Ingalls tune right there. <laughs> One of my favorites too. I hummed that so many times. I just I just love that. But uh, I, I, if you weren't if you didn't see it, I put up a, a video on the church Facebook page that this was set to one of the movies and some of the miracles that Christ did that are sung about in the song are in the background. Oh, it was wonderful. I've never seen it done that way before, but it was great. And if you want to, you can go up there and take a look at that. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began in this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? So they're not standing still. He's moving in the chariot. And maybe that was one of the reasons why he had to run catch up with the chariot. But he opened his mouth and he just began to to do this because the anointing that is on an evangelist is to preach Christ like no one else. They can just open this thing up. And he knows, I don't care where you're at in the Bible, there's an anointing on me to teach Christ. Where you at? Let's just go over this thing. And he just knows the anointing will come on him and he will be able to teach this thing. And he's able to teach Christ from Isaiah. I don't know that too many people today would be able to teach Christ from Isaiah. Some people could. But a lot of times we know, let's go over here to the Gospels. It's easier. But he did it right there. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Can you imagine going to a place where you don't understand anything you're reading to a place where you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? 
in the course of one conversation with one evangelist. That is an anointing. And an evangelist is anointed to open up people's eyes to who Jesus is and the door for them to believe. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now Azotus is better known for us as Ashdod. That one probably brings a, a better, better thing to you. If you want to know where he is reading from, he's reading from Isaiah chapter 56. If you ever want to go back there and, and check that out, that's where Philip was taken to. But he went from a place where he's ministering to the city to a place where he's mis- ministering to an individual. This particular man, this one man, was one who could influence and take the gospel message with him and impact an entire nation. Which is why God says there's an opportunity. I have this man from this other country passing by. I need you to go out there and get him now. So he had to leave the thriving ministry he just had a hand in getting started because he had another assignment. And God says, I want you to go after this one. And really, that's just one person. Yeah, he didn't realize it at the time, but it was a graduation. You are going to influence an entire nation by winning this one over. So he didn't question. He just went out there and did it. What a guy. That is someone that you can certainly imitate and do. But let's take a look at this. We want to kind of summarize all these here in the fivefold ministry gifts. And the first thing is, who is the target of each of these gifts? The target, the pastor and teacher, their target is the church. The pastor and teacher, they have the target of the church. The apostle has the target of new ministry or teaching emphasis. Sometimes, now, Paul took the ministry of the gospel into places where it was not, which is one aspect of the apostle's ministry, but he also had a message that was unique that had to go out as well. That message was the message of the church. So he was called up into heaven. He was given the message of the revelation of who the church was, what the church was about. He came down and taught that message to the people in the church age. So he was an apostle on two fronts. One, he was taking it into new areas, starting churches, and then moving on from there into something else. And then he was also taking a new message. So there are sometimes we have apostles that are uh, apostles of a message. We've seen some where they were apostles of the healing message or apostles of faith, or different things that would come out, and they would be apostles of that message, or different ones that would go out, and they would just start churches in different areas. But an apostle, their target is new ministries, or teaching or a teaching emphasis. A prophet, their target is those God sent them to. Here's the word, here's who it's meant for, go. So their target can move around. Sometimes it's this group of people, sometimes it's another group of people. Whatever it might be, he gives them the target, here's the assignment, go. And that's what they do. An evangelist, their target is those who need salvation. But the saved will receive a spark or a renewing. Now we're going to get into a little more detail on, on that as we go through here. The time, the how much time 
do, do their assignments usually work? And we put this in two parts. First off, there's an assignment and there is a mission. Assignment is the people that they're sent to. Mission is the purpose that they're sent for. The pastor has the longest in the assignments and mission. A pastor is assigned a particular church, a particular area, and they're the pastor of that area. Sometimes God moves them on to another spot. Sometimes um, the people just don't receive it, and uh, that moves them on to another spot even before God had wanted them to, whatever it might be. Uh, but a pastor is going to have a longer assignment than most of the other ones will. The teacher, their assignment will vary. Sometimes God will give them a particular message, and the teacher, Apollo, Apollos is one of the teachers in the New Testament. And he expanded the things that he began to teach, but for a while was very focused. Sometimes you'll have teachers, and when you have teachers in the body of Christ, they go out and they teach a particular thing. God tells them to teach this, and then they go out and they teach that. Maybe for the entire year, every place they go, they teach that same message, the same topic. And, uh, and a teacher, they love to refine what it is that God has given them. So they'll teach the same message 50, 60, 70 times before they move on into something else. And each time they're looking to refine it. Now, pastors, we don't get off on that. We don't like that. We don't like preaching a message more than once or twice. Now, we've got to move on to other things. <laughs> and that's about it. You'll have some pastors, they might have multiple services. They'll preach the same message in the, in the three, four different services that might be there. That's a little bit different. But we don't look to go out, out there and teach the message again. You know, once we taught the message, well, we're done with that message. Let's go move on to the next one. That's the difference between a pastor and a teacher. A teacher is going to refine something. God says, I need you to not only refine this message and make it easier for people to understand, I need you to refine your understanding of it. And so they focus in on one particular area and what they were going to, to do. There was uh, one of the uh, people we brought in early on here at uh, church. Uh, he was a roommate of mine. He came in, and, he, and remember Dave Husky, he came in and he taught on the fences. Well, he was going around. He made it known to us. So he's going around all over teaching people on the fences. God had, had given him that message, and he was kind of honing it in. He was kind of developing it and making it strong, and people, he'd go in there and, and just ministered on that, on that one topic. And, and he was good with that. We had conversations. I've had conversations with others. I couldn't do what you do. I couldn't focus in on one message and just stay with that the whole time. I, my thing is, is, is God has given me anointing. Once, once we're done with something, we're, we're on to the next thing. And then we're on to the next thing. And he'll give me an assignment of a topic, and we'll just keep refining that thing. We're going after that thing until it's done, but not the same message. So this is what a teacher will do. It will vary sometimes in the assignment and the mission. An apostle, short time in, and we're just looking at it in the Word, in the Word of God. I, I can't talk to what people are doing now. I'm looking at in the Word of God. In the Word of God, an apostle goes from a short time to several years. We look at, at Paul. He's the one we had the most detail on. He's not the only apostle, but he's the one we had the most detail on. Sometimes he would go into a city and they would get mad pretty quick and he was out there in a couple of weeks. That's the assignment. He moved on and he turned it over to other people and then they, they carried it on from there. And then he'd go into another spot. Ephesus, I believe he was at almost three years. That was a long time for him. That was about the longest he had, uh, he had been in any one spot. Generally, you're seeing him six months a year that he's in a spot, train people up. He kind of takes the hard knocks that are needed to, to get the thing started, and then we're off into, into something else. But short time to a few years is what we see on him. A prophet, this is the shortest in terms of mission, but maybe long term on assignment. 
He may be, an apostle or a prophet is given a mission. Here's the word. Go out there and do it. And we're done in a day. We're done. We, we finished our mission. But the assignment may be longer. You look at different ones um, that are there. Elisha and Elijah had a long assignment, but short missions. Their assignment was the northern tribes. Every once in a while, Elisha ventured out of the northern tribes, but Elijah didn't uh, venture out of that too much. They stayed. This is your assignment in the northern tribes. And when he was given a, a, a mission, he would go out there and he would say that. Ezekiel was one. He was given the assignment of the captives over in the land of captivity. And then he would give whatever uh, he had as far as the word was concerned. But the missions were short. The assignment was long. This will be the uh, what a prophet is. An evangelist. Oh, you remember the unnamed prophet sent to Jeroboam? He, he was short on mission and assignment. It, neither one lasted very long. Of course, he died before he finished it. But uh, even if he had finished it, the assignment was short. He's in the south, go up to the north, prophesy against this altar, come back. That's his only assignment in the northern area that we know of. And it was his only mission. Now, an evangelist, nothing long in assignment or mission. Here basically told, as far as an evangelist is concerned, going out here, preach Christ, do some miracles, let the anointing go through you, change these people around, and then out. And then the other ministry gifts come in and they, de- they develop the rest of it. Because the evangelist is not there to, there to create a well-rounded Christian. The evangelist is there to get people saved, turned on to God, do some, do the miracles, let the power of God flow. There's giftings in, that are different in each one. The pastor has a supernatural shepherding job and gifts that will help him to supernaturally shepherd. He's a, his, uh, his giftings are going to be along the lines of supernatural shepherding. You will see a pastor move in the area of prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy, not a prophet. And sometimes other utterance gifts, revelation or power. There, there are nine gifts to the Spirit. There are three categories. And we're going to get back into the gifts of the Spirit and go over this, but just to give you the heads up on it, there are three power gifts. These are gifts that demonstrate the power of God. There are three utterance gifts. These are, are gifts in which God gives the ability to speak or to utter through. And then other one, three revelation gifts. These are the gifts that God gives revelation knowledge to. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning the spirits. These are the ones that are in there. The, um, the teaching, a teacher, giftings for a teacher would be prophecy and sometimes the revelation gifts you'll, you'll see in operation with a teacher. An apostle, an apostle has any of the nine gifts, but will function mostly in certain ones to help their particular calling. When you look at the apostles' ministry in the New Testament, you will see pretty much all nine gifts operating in those apostles, but not all nine in any one. They seem to be tailored for whatever it is that their particular apostleship is going to be working towards. A prophet will operate in one or more of the revelation gifts. There must be at least one revelation gift to equip a person in the prophetic office. Probably more than that. You're probably looking at at least two, maybe even three. But a prophet is going to be in this particular area. An evangelist will operate in one or more of the power gifts. If a person is going to be an evangelist, they will operate in the gift of faith. They will operate in the working of miracles. 
They're going to operate in the power gifts. These things are going to be going on. You're going to see that, that happening. These are the things that distinguish, distinguish them. Now, the pastor and apostle seem to have the power and revelation gifts less than the previous two. Or the previous, uh, than the, the other ones, the, the, the last two we went over, the prophet and the evangelist, they're going to have the power and revelation gifts less than those particular two. And this is perhaps because the assignments of the pastor and the apostle are longer than the assignments of the evangelist and the prophet. The reason I bring that up to you is this. If you have those particular giftings around all the time, your faith will not develop and you will just become dependent on the evangelist to create a miracle, an evangelist to bring healing, a prophet to bring the word that you need for the, for the time and not rely on your own faith for it. Whereas with the pastors, the teachers, the apostles, you won't see these as, as prevalent. More so with an apostle when they first get started because they're almost operating in somewhat of the evangelist ministry when they, when they go out there. They need those powers to get the attention. Remember Paul wrote, when I came to you, I didn't come with word, but in power. He came with, he came with some power because you have to, you have to bring that sometimes to get the attention. Now the evangelist, focus back on him. The evangelist will bring, uh, will bring to the saved. There's three things here he's going to bring to the saved. The evangelist will bring to the saved First off, if you are saved people, how is an evangelist going to minister to me? What am I going to glean from an evangelist? Why should I even go? I am already saved. I already know about Christ. They're not going to necessarily preach anything more to me. So why am I going? This is what we're saying here with this. So the evangelist will bring to the saved, first off, a spark and a refreshing. That's the first thing. Secondly, healing and miracles when faith seems... Did I write these down in your outline or are you writing them down as you go? I already have them. A spark and a refreshing healing and miracles when faith seems blocked. There are times when you just can't seem to get past something and receive the thing in faith. This is where an evangelist can come in because the giftings that they have will, will just blow those things right out of the water. Whatever the hindrance is, get you back into the place where you need to be. Now your faith can get there and maintain it. That's what an evangelist can do for the saved. And third, a renewed hunger for the lost. When you come into an evangelist meeting, you're going to come out of there and say, boy, that's, that was so great getting out there and ministering to the lost people. And you just get a renewed hunger for that. This is what will happen when you go into an evangelist meeting. And we've seen some evangelist meetings that, uh, that have gone on there. The, uh, you know, the Reinhard Bonkies and the ones who had these, I mean, huge meetings, just seas of people. And he's out there preaching the gospel to them. And you listen to the message, oh, I know all that. Oh, I've heard all that. Oh, I, it's not there for you. <laughs> it's there to preach Christ to the people that are there. But in them stepping into that anointing of an evangelist anointing, when they obey and do what God says, that anointing of God comes down upon them for miracles, for healings, for signs and wonders. And that's why when you have these evangelists and they go out in these meetings and they, they have these great miracles and why they put attention to it, is it part of their assignment? Because if no one knows what God is doing, then no one's attention is gotten. So this, this is going to go on. Now people are going to pervert this and people are going to try and use what they're doing as attention and pervert it. Does not mean the genuine doesn't, isn't there. Just means that people are going to pervert it. Don't ever talk down what God is doing through the ministry of, a, of an evangelist. They are not there to teach you. 
That's not their role. If you go to an evangelist meeting, you know, well, I'm going to get taught some things. Wrong. <laughs> More than likely, you're not going to get taught a whole lot. You may get inspired by some of the stories. You may get in, be inspired by some of their enthusiasm. It, being inspired is great. Go in there and be inspired. But go in there and be looking to be more a help to what's going on and what God is wanting to do. But just in God getting in there and, and ministering salvation to the people that are around you. And you see the healing that's going on. You cannot help but be revived yourself. Now the enemy hates that. So you know what he's going to try and do? When you get into an evangelist meeting or you watch an evangelist meeting? That's fake. That's not real. Why does he have to do it that way? Why can't he do it this way? Didn't you see how somebody else did? Why can't they just operate? Why do they have to do that? Getting you to question it. See, he's trying to take down the inspiration that's going to come from the evangelist meeting. If God is not offended by how they're uh, operating in the evangelist office, how in the world can you be? How in the world can I be? So they don't do it exactly the way I want. You know what? They don't answer to me. (laughs) They do not answer to me. They answer to God. That's his servant. If he, if they get out there and he does whatever it is that God tells him to do and it rubs me the wrong way, I better get myself right because I'm going to find myself on the wrong side of God. You don't want to be doing that. Now, an evangelist, they're not there to, get, to straighten out your doctrine. You can go up to an evangelist and ask them every question in the, in the world that you want to. They probably won't have an answer for you. You may go up to an evangelist and, and say, what about end times? And you give them something and they say, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, how can you not know? <laughs> You're one of the five-fold ministry. See, that's not, he's not, that's not his area where he's supposed to be operating in. Don't be asking questions and getting them outside that area. You could ask a prophet a question in the Bible, but what's the prophet's specialty? See, your question for a prophet is this. What has God said? That's it. I don't got no other questions for you. You know, we were doing all that listening to prophets. I heard some of them teach. I don't have any questions for prophets. (laughs) I heard some of them teach. It's like, holy cow, you got that? Really? Their anointing is not in their teaching. The anointing is hearing from God and letting us know what God said. That's the anointing. That's where they're supposed to be at. Let them operate in those particular areas. Pastors are supposed to go into another another area. And so we go into that. It's, it's my role to refine the uh, the things that you believe. And sometimes you do that with people and you rub them the wrong way and they get upset at you. That's all right. I don't get my feelings hurt. People go out there and they... And they do, and they do that. There's, there's different ways in, in this. An evangelist is going to come in there with fire. You disagree with an evangelist, man, you're going to be met with some fire. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Because if you disagree with them on the areas where they're ministering, there's going to be some fire going on. You're going to see that fire come on out of, out of them and, and, whew, it's, it's going on. You disagree with a prophet on what God said, you're going to see some fire. They may even call some fire down. I don't know. <laughs> you're going to see some fire. Now, you disagree with the, with the pastor, there better not be fire. Because that's not their role. Mm-hmm. If there's fire coming out of a pastor because you disagree with them, then that pastor is not operating under the anointing they're supposed to. That's a, that's what, I didn't know I was going to get into that. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's an area that you have to be, uh, be careful about. You see, you, uh, you ask a question of a prophet, only question. 
What did God say? Ask a question of an evangelist. It's going to be on the, the miracles that, that uh, can be done. Maybe you might say, uh, what kind of uh, power gifts are on you? <laughs> They'll know that answer because they, they've been operating in it. But you can ask your pastor, teacher, uh, even an apostle, you'll be able to ask some questions in other areas and the anointing of God that is on them will, will come in to help you out with that. But, um, well, I'll give you this as an example. All right, nobody asked me about this, but I'm going to get into the, the, the thing anyway. Just because I want you to see it. When you come and you ask me questions, this is, this is how you take advantage of whatever anointing is on me. You come by asking me questions. I got a couple of questions that are still in the hopper. Some of you folks are listening online. I, you say, I asked him a question a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I make sure I get it thoroughly before I'm ready to go out there and to, and to answer it. And generally, I try and answer it here on Sunday morning or a Wednesday night because I, I like the anoint, I like to be under that anointing to be able to answer it, not just, uh, not just talk to you. But if I don't get to that spot, then we'll just, uh, get under. Somebody, uh, not too long ago asked me a question about Noah. And, uh, we're going to get into that. Uh, it was an interesting question. That's one I've asked before. And I just wanted to, Meditate on it just a little bit to make sure that we're, we're going to be, be right in there. But should we do good to people who are treating others badly? Who are evil? Should we do good? Because here's what the Word of God says. This is, this is what it says. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So if I'm in a place and I see evil going on, am I supposed to treat the evildoers as good? Or in a good way. Am I supposed to bless them? And people look at this, and look at this scripture, and see this is my role as a pastor. This is my role as a pastor is to clarify things like this so that people are not confused by this. That is not the role of an evangelist. They're not there to answer those kind of Bible questions. That is not the role of a prophet. They're not there to answer those kind of Bible questions. They are there to do some things that I as a pastor cannot do under the anointing of God. But they will, they will function that. But here in this one, the enemy likes to take verses like this and corrupt it and neutralize his church. Because what we think from this is, I cannot speak against evil leaders, evil people, evil corporations, or evil, whatever, wherever I see evil, I can't, because I need to do good to those that are doing evil, which is the corruption of this verse. If you want to understand this verse, and if you want to operate in this verse, and it's really clear once I show this to you, if you have any questions about this at all, you will absolutely not have any more questions about this afterwards. Because what this verse is simply saying is, he who does evil to who? You. You see, that's the difference. If someone does evil to me, I have to order my behavior within the scope of these verses. But if someone does evil to you, it's all, <laughs> it's whatever I know to do, I can do it. Because they're doing it to you. Now, if Jesus 
uttered these words, he didn't live by them, by the way the people understand them. Because when Jesus saw the Pharisees acting in a way of evil towards the people, what did he do? He came against them. He identified them. He brought them out. He fought against them. He even got to the place where he would embarrass them. He came after them with everything that he had. He did not do what's in that verse because he was not combating what they did to him but what they did to others. When they came after him, what did Jesus do? When they took his clothes, when they took his life, when they took his freedom, what did he do? Nothing. That's how you live that scripture. You can speak evil, you can see evil going on and you can come against it with everything that you got. If you see somebody breaking into your house to do harm to your children, your wife or whoever is in there, and you have a gun, it is not unscriptural to pull that gun out. Do not think that it is. But what about this scripture? They're not doing it to you. They're doing it to others. And you have a responsibility and the right to protect them. When David's wife and children were captured, did God say, well, you know, just... No, the anointing came upon them, and those men, as tired as they were, they went after them, and they rescued every single one of them. Understand, when evil shows its ugly head, no matter what form and no matter who it is, they're going to be doing this against other people. And you have every right as a Christian to stand up against it, to identify it, and to fight it. But if they come against you, it's a different thing. That's where the difference is in this verse. Because there's going to be people, and they're going to try and speak evil of you. That's all right. Don't mess with it. You know, we don't have to. You know, my, you've, I've talked to you some about my policies on Facebook. I've got people up there. Sometimes I'll put some things up, and people will sometimes come up and put something negative up. It's all right. Just go on. <laughs> it, it really doesn't bother me. I just go on with something else. Look, we're just going over here. I know from the Word of God that if I have people who see something that I said and come after me with both barrels to fight it, and demand explanation. You tell me why you think this is right. Most of the time I just ignore them. Because I know the only ones that will tap into the anointing that I have as a pastor are those who will receive it. When Jesus had revelation knowledge and people who fought against him, what did he do with the revelation knowledge he had with the people who would not receive it? He spoke in parables so that they would not understand. And he, uh, he's the one who taught you, don't cast your pearls before swine. That doesn't mean you're calling out there and calling people pigs. It just means don't give to people what they will not treasure as good. You won't treasure this. You won't see this as good in any way. Absolutely no reason for me to give it to you. No reason for me to speak it to you. You just go on to somebody else because there's somebody else out there who wants to hear what you have to say. And you speak it to them. 
You get to Sunday and you're sharing them some things that are in the Word of God, sharing some things about Scripture. And they're fighting you. Okay, just walk away. Just walk away. Where's the quote? Who has a quote in the Bible, in the, in the bulletin? I pulled it in just for this, this reason. You got it there, Vanessa? Mm-hmm. Read that out. I do, they won't hear you on there. Let me, let me read it from you. Okay. They, I'd hear you just fine, but, the, but they won't. Where'd they go? This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, uh, of course, he was a minister, spoke against the things going on in the Nazi regime. Jesus himself did not try to convert the two thieves on the cross. He waited until one of them turned to him. Oh, I saw that and I said, man, that is profound. I just, I like that. See, we're a lot, we're a lot of times trying to get people. We're going after the two, the two people. He just stood there on the cross and then when one turned to him, he ministered to him. Understand, if people are going to come to Christ, they must first believe that he is. You cannot convince people that God is real. If they want you to prove that God is real, walk away. Go find somebody else. But you see, you are all, we are all called out here to do the work of an evangelist. We're all called out there. You should be looking all the time. God, who can I go to? Who is the woman at the well that I can see? An evangelist is going to go in with giftings that will turn that meeting into something powerful. But remember, way back in the beginning of the, the chapter 8, when the people were scattered... They took the message wherever they went. We are called to take the message wherever we go and to share that with them. Would you all stand up with me? We have our communion Sunday prepared. Just as we spoke about when they came for Jesus, when they came for his blood, when they came for his body, he gave it to them. He even said in the, in the word, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. He laid it down. People are going to try and do all manner of evil against you. They're going to speak all manner of evil against you. You don't have to defend yourself. Others will. That doesn't mean you won't defend someone else. If you see somebody being taken to task for the things of the gospel, you can stand up for them. That's all right. That word is talking about doing good to those who would do evil to you. Go back and read that scripture. There's also one in Matthew that talks about the same, same thing, just not quite as long and not as, as uh, much detail as this one. How many times does he repeat to you? To you. To you. Not to others. To you. I was going to count how many times in there, but I think it's at least a dozen. That's a lot of times. People will come against you. That's all right. They came against him. But you have a different attitude to people that come against you and the people who come against those that are around you. You're not going against God when you want to rise up and defend those that God has put in your life. That's not going against God. That's the very Spirit of God who would inspire you. Get out there and and stand for them. Didn't Jesus seem to have an expectation that some of his disciples would follow him to the cross? 
but they didn't. Didn't he lead them into a prayer in the garden that they would be ready and not fall into temptation, but they would be there, but they didn't. He was going into a place and he was not going to be defending himself, but others could, not necessarily to free him, but just to stand there with him. When he went to the cross, he was in the upper room with the disciples. He knew he was going there by himself. But I was all right with him. He said, it's okay. I'm doing this for you guys. Before supper, he broke the bread and he gave it to him. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Let's remember, his body is broken so that our sicknesses, our diseases, our pains, they're not, they're not for us to bear. Let's eat together. After supper, took the cup. This represents the blood of the new covenant. Old covenant, constant. Always bringing the blood, always bringing the sacrifice. New covenant, we receive the work he did in this sacrifice. Let's stay under the new covenant. Don't let the enemy pull you back into the old to get you to bring a sacrifice again. Now we receive his. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We receive by faith the work he did in his body for our body, and the work he did with his blood for our life. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go, I think you saw up on the, online, I posted yesterday that uh, Brother Fred Price uh, went home to be with the Lord. And... Um, What a man of faith. I'll tell you, I just cannot speak highly enough about him. I learned <clears throat> about him and Brother Hagen at the same time. When I went to Ramah, we got his orientation and got Brother Hagen's teaching in the same week. And I didn't know either until then. That was my initiation into both of them. And we had faith, foolishness, or presumption, and he, he taught it. We didn't read it, he taught it. I still remember the stories he told and that that so impacted me and um, just such a great man of faith I did see that he was in the hospital I did not put up on Facebook that he was in the hospital but I had word from um, uh, Raymond I guess he was still pretty close contact with him and they knew they sent us out an email as soon as I saw it my prayer was and I know he went in for COVID-19 that was the reason he went into the hospital. He is a death of COVID-19. He is not a, de a death with COVID-19, which a lot of them are. He did die of the, of the COVID-19. I knew he went in there for that. And so I went out to, to pray on this thing. And I said, Father God, if he's done, that's fine. He can just go on home. But don't let this disease. I wanted to pray that way. And down in my spirit, I had a check. I couldn't pray that way. And I knew... He wasn't going to go through it. I didn't know it to the point that I was going to tell this, tell this to anybody, but I knew it. So I kept checking, actually, to see, has he gone on yet? And so I saw on Saturday morning that he went on. And if you, how many, did anybody see the post I put up about Brother Press passing on? Anybody not see it? Okay. 
It's up on there. I put what his son put up there. And it was short. It wasn't real long. Um, but I appreciated what he said in there that uh, they respected his father's wishes that he wanted to go on. That a couple of weeks ago he got a glimpse of glory. And I said, well, that's why he wasn't fighting. <laughs> He's done. And I don't blame him. He's almost 90 years old, 89. And I don't know that I even want to make it that long. I'm pretty sure I don't, but but he did, and uh, just such a, a great man of faith. Of all the people that I know, and I know a number of them who have sons in the ministry, none hold a candle to Brother Fred Price and his son. I tell you, I, I don't know all of them, but I know Fred Price Jr., boy, I love listening to him. It's like listening to his dad, especially when the uh, he, I heard him the first time, I said, boy, that sounds just like... And it did, just, on, just like in his younger days, not in his older days. His older days, he slowed down a lot. Fred Price Sr., he slowed down a lot. He just he was talking slower. He was bringing things out slower. He wasn't the rapid-fire guy or the, or the uh, bull in a china shop. He was a bull in a china shop before. I mean, I saw some of the meetings he did, and phew. But I, I loved him. He was just such a, a great blessing on that. But uh, he was a COVID-19 death, and... Um, uh, Brother Jim was also, uh, who died from uh, Churchill, he was also a COVID-19 death. And um, I told you bef- before when this whole thing came out, I told you people would die from this disease. I haven't backed off of that. I haven't backed off anything from that. Um, I don't go around wearing a mask. I don't go around doing the, the, the things. We don't have them in here because I don't like what it, what it brings in. But um, uh, I, I will never try and tell you that COVID-19 won't be a dangerous disease. I told you before, H1N1 was a dangerous disease. Swine flu was a dangerous disease. Bird flu was a dangerous disease. And I can keep on going. SARS, MERS, they're all dangerous diseases. And each one took lives. But none was made to be what this one was for the function that it served. And so I tried to to take our church in a direction that you didn't get in fear over the disease. And uh, it's a real disease. And real people will go home because of it. Uh, nowhere near the numbers that they're trying to say. It has been coming out. And I told you before the numbers didn't work way back in February and March. I told you the numbers didn't work for the, what they were, they were doing. And so they are coming out now. And they're saying that actual numbers for this disease are about 25%, 30% what they're actually publishing because of the way they counted it. And uh, uh, because of my background, I understand a lot of the things they were doing in this. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with those kind of details, but um, I told you before, the numbers did not work for what they were trying to do. They're trying to get you in fear of the disease. And uh, we just don't need to be in fear. I can know what things out there. You should respect the, who the disease is going to target, and you protect those people. You do the things. I know there's some people, that are, even in church, that they wear the mask to make sure that they don't infect the people that are in the target group that they are around. And I understand that. They're not walking around in fear. They're just doing some things to help try and protect the people that they are they're close to, and uh, that's that's all fine. Just always make sure you stay out of the the fear. The um, the enemy wants you to go in that direction. Just don't. And now they're going to try and put more pressure on you. Now you know now we got double and triple masks that people want you to have, and um, it just shows you like some of the ridiculousness of the of the thing. But um, we don't need to get into all those all those kind of details. But uh, walk, walk in wisdom. 
and protect the people that are there. Brother, Brother Price was 89. I don't know that he had any other complications. I know a lot of times that people are dying from this disease, they have other complications, and that kind of just kicks them over. I don't know that he did or did not. I know Brother Jim had a lot of other complications, and when he got that, it just pushed him over the, the edge. But he had a lot of complications to, to go with that. But um, I was, it was sad to see that, that he had gone on, and uh, I hadn't heard too much of his teaching of late. I don't know if he wasn't doing a whole lot or, um, or what that was, but he was a general. He was just a, a pillar in the faith community, and I had the utmost respect. But <laughs> next week, cover dish, the weather so far is clear. <laughs> so we are planning on the cover dish. If anything happens, you know, we can, we can change that. Like I said, there's about, uh, about three people here, uh, three groups of people anyway, that I don't have a phone number for. So if you get me that and you want to be on those lists, I'll make sure that you, you get the things that we, uh, we send out there to you. Um, and, and, uh, but that, that'll be going on there for, for next week. Wednesday night, right as of right now, we have a midweek service. If anything like that changes, we'll let you know. But I think there's some snow before or after, but I don't think there's anything really going on for Wednesday night itself. So uh, we'll keep an eye. I think in the morning there might be some lingering stuff, and we'll, we'll watch it. We don't want you coming out and going home in the dangerous roads or anything like that. So uh, we'll, we'll make sure we, we take care of it. Have a great rest of your day, and it's great having you all here. <laughs>